When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Hello and welcome to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow, and I am with James Jones and Frankie Levin of West Ham World. Gents, how are we? Very good, thanks. You? Good. Yep, yeah. surviving. A weird week for West Ham. We talked about the Everton game last week and we called it the inconsistency derby. Two teams with very good squads, but who you never quite know which side is going to turn up. West Ham seemed to decide not really to turn up at all. And the Everton side who rolled into East London looked pretty impressive. Yeah, it was uh, from a West Ham point of view, it was a disgrace. Uh, that's the only way I can really put it. I don't know how Frankie feels about it, but... You know, as we've banged on about on this show for so many weeks now, we're unbeaten since beginning of Christmas at home, and you know we really felt as if you know, okay, I'm not a big fan of us finishing seventh and have to start our season in July next year, but at the same time, you've got to, you know you've got to strive to be as, as as good as you possibly can in that league, particularly outside the top six. You know, everyone says it's a, it's, it's a mini league within the Premier League. You know, outside the top six, and you know you want to be the best of that, and that was a good opportunity for us to, okay. Perhaps not finish in the top six, uh, uh, finish seventh, but put a little bit of daylight between us and Everton because they were two points behind us, and then and then almost secure a minimum of a top ten finish with a win on Saturday, and they rocked up and they just clearly didn't know what didn't know what they were doing. And the problem I've got is that after two or three minutes, it was quite clear that Pellegrini got it completely wrong, completely wrong mm. with his setup. I don't know why he dropped Noble. Um, I don't know. I don't know why Perez was starting. We have not seen him for about three months, and suddenly he's on the starting starting eleven. Um, and he got it completely wrong. And and my problem here is that he didn't change it. He didn't. He didn't even try to change it until half time. And the second half was a little bit better. But you know, all we did was stop Everton from from attacking us as much as they did in the first half. And you know, by then they probably taken their foot off the gas. Everton completely deserved the win. No, one hundred percent deserved it. And we we were awful. Absolutely awful. Yeah, I mean, like you said, our home form has been fantastic of late. Um, and going into this one, we were quite optimistic. But then when I saw that lineup, you had Perez starting. Noble wasn't starting. Obiang was, was in for him. Um, yeah, like you said, Pellegrini got the formation completely wrong in the weekend and the tactics. And their midfielder, Gomez, completely ran the show. Mm. Um, yeah. Declan Rice really struggled because Obiang was just a passenger the whole game. So Rice was trying to cover two positions. Um, as you said, Perez couldn't. Couldn't, couldn't even control the football in the Premier League, so I don't know what he's what he's even doing here. Um, but no, it just so it was such an annoying. Then, Frankie, <laughs> to be honest, Perez. when we signed Perez, I was actually I thought that's a decent bit of business. Four million um, didn't get a chance at Arsenal. I think he'll be quite a good signing for us, but he just hasn't. He's been really disappointing, and I think that's his career pretty much at West Ham up now. 
So we talked a lot about the fact that Pellegrini got this one wrong. He certainly did nine shots on target in the first half for mm. Everton, which is terrifying. That's the most at the London Stadium in the Premier League in recent memory. What would you have changed? If you were picking the team, if you were setting the formation, what would you have done differently? See, there was a problem because we had a couple of injuries um, that not many fans knew about. Anderson was out, um, Nasri was out late, but again, he hasn't included Antonio. He's been one of our best players in the past two or three games, and he took him off at half-time in our last home game when he was probably our best player, and that was confusing. And he hasn't started him again, so I don't know why he doesn't want to start Antonio, but I would have started one up top on Outovic, played Antonio on the wing, um, and played Lanzini more central because Lanzini out wide was completely ineffective and that's not what his best position is. I think I think for me, a lot of people have... Um, have Mark Noble, for me, has been a bit of an unsung hero for us this season, particularly alongside Declan Rice. England call-up? Uh, I mean, I've been, <laughs> no. I've, I've been banging that drum for so many years, but I don't think it's going to happen now. But no, I, I do think that he has been a bit of an unsung hero. At the beginning of the season... You, he wasn't great, but a, a lot of people don't realise that Declan Rice's form has, has kind of been thanks to the support he's had from Mark Noble in midfield. Um, and, you know, he's, Mark Noble's been allowed to, allowed Declan Rice to sort of play his game and sort of sit deep a little bit and then roam a little bit and, you know, break up play. But against Everton, without Noble there, Declan Rice looked lost, as you said, Frankie. You know, he, he looked, he was ineffective. You know, he, sometimes he was, you know, he was running around like headless chicken, didn't really know what to do, because he didn't have like his partner in crime in midfield. And I'd, I'd love to know why Mark Noble was left on the bench, and I'd love to know why um, after five minutes and we realised that you know it, it it wasn't working, Mark Noble wasn't reintroduced to the to, to the eleven because that was our big problem. Um, losing Anderson as well for me was was a big was a big problem. I mean, it's the first game he's missed this season. Mm. Towards the end of this season, he's looked pretty good. Um, he started to defend a little bit well, track back a little bit more, uh, which was you know the problem we had at the beginning of the season where he was all right going forward, but you know he was a bit lazy mm. in, in defence. But you know we, we missed him, um, and it was just unfortunate that he picked up picked up and up. We should be back for the Chelsea game. What did you lads make of the defensive performance? Because it seemed way too easy time and time again for Everton just to play through you, play round you. Any kind of through ball seemed to just release a blue shirt. I don't know, Frankie. I don't know what you, what you think about that. Shocking is one word I'd use our <laughs> defensive display. Um, every time they attacked, they outnumbered us. Um, every time we, well, the rare occasions that we did attack, we were just left at the left at the absolutely acres of space in behind our defence. Yeah. And they were just playing one, two, three passes through our midfield and goal. I think it was their second goal where they tapped it in. It was at Bernard. Yeah. Um, three passes through our midfield across the across the line of our goal. Bang. Two 0 down. Game over. Um, so Pellegrini has a bit of stubbornness about him when it comes to defensive duties. He won't change it unless it's a complete drastic need for a change, which was the case on the weekend. But it was twenty five, thirty minutes too late. He's change, he should change it as soon as he's realising that our tactics aren't working and we're being outplayed. And that stubbornness cost us a game. Do you think we'll see a change for the next starting lineup? then? Do you think he'll just send the same team out and expect a better performance? Or is he going to react to your concerns? No, he'll change it because of the injuries we had. Um, he'll bring Anderson back in, I'm pretty sure, if he's fit. Um, Noble, like you said, was pretty crucial to, to our midfield when Rice is playing. So... He'll probably bring him back in for Obiang, and I don't think Perez will ever play in West Ham shirt again. So, 
obviously the annoying thing about being a West Ham fan, guys, is that they are so inconsistent that you can play well and then lose a game. But the flip side of that is that you could play really, really badly and then win the next one. So fingers crossed. Stay with us because coming up in just a moment, we'll be chatting to former FA Cup winning West Ham midfielder Jeff Pike. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and James Jones and Frankie Levin of West Ham World. And I'm delighted to say we're also joined on the line by former FA Cup winning midfielder Jeff Pike for West Ham. Jeff, thanks ever so much for joining us. It hasn't been a positive first 10 minutes of the show, Jeff. I'll be honest with you. The word shocking has been used at least 57 times. Were you as disappointed as the lads with the performance against Everton? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, after previous results over over a fairly long period of time, you would have expected something a little bit different from that. So it was uh, uh, disappointing, to say the least. Jeff, I, I mean, the way I see uh, this game um, and the outcome of it is that we've we've heard all season, of you know, Pellegrini's trying to instill this big team mentality into into his squad and the players' mindset and everything. And we have seen that in stages, but mostly against the top six. Um, and we've seen, you know, that sort of mentality sort of come undone a little bit and unstuck against the teams in and around us, the, the relegation-threatened teams. Do you think that maybe that big team mentality that we're, that he's trying to do is kind of borderline going into arrogance when it comes up against teams that are outside the top six and the players think, well, you know, they're not. this isn't a top six team, so therefore we should be beating them because we've got a big team mentality. Uh, I, I think I think that's really difficult to, to answer the question based around, you know, what, what do we really know about that? Uh, the, 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 the challenge for me is uh, around how do we how do we maintain uh, some momentum when we get a, a decent result? But, you know, because the... the the, the results have been up and down. There's never been any real consistency around performance. And whether that's to do with team changes, injuries, or certain individuals within the team that potentially might be going elsewhere or to another continent uh, might have upset the apple cart a little bit. But, uh, you know, when you, you, I, was, I was in the, uh, the, the club a, a few weeks back working with one of the guys that's doing his pro licence at the moment, uh, a lad called Liam Manning, in, who's uh, assistant with Steve Potts with the under-23s. And you see the, the stuff that's going on at that level, and you would suggest that uh, there, there is that, that, that team cohesion, that team mentality. You know, and the, and the, the lads are all uh, working and singing from the same hymn sheet. But once they get to that first team level, I'm not sure whether that continues over is it is it based around the fact that there's certain individuals that are upsetting the apple cart a little bit? Jeff, from what you've seen so far this season um, with Pellegrini coming in and the signs he made, what do you think is the biggest issue at the club in terms of our weakest point and where do you think we need to strengthen in the summer? Um, well, it, it's interesting because uh, I was with uh, Trevor Brookin, Alvin Martin and Phil Parks a week or 10 days ago at uh, uh, Q&A uh, we did down in Norfolk somewhere in the outer street, uh, outer reaches of uh, Norfolk. And uh, one of the, uh, Trevor commented on the fact that he thought that the defence had got better uh, and stronger. Uh, and in free play, that potentially is the case. But um, the, the, the facts and figures and the statistics say that West Ham are the, are the worst in the Premier League at defending corners. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so if, you, if you're conceding a lot of goals from... Uh, de- def- defending against set plays or corners, especially, 
then you're always on the back foot and you're always chasing a game. Jeff, one thing that James mentioned right at the beginning of the show is just how important Mark Noble is to this team and how he allows Declan Rice to play his game more effectively. Not just this season, but looking at Noble's career at West Ham as a whole, how important has he been as a servant for the club? Oh, it's, it's massive. Uh, you, when you look at uh, the, the makeup of the team, and, you know, I mean, it, it's changed dr- drastically over the years that, that Mark's been in the first team in, in the respect of overseas players, etc., etc. Uh, he's the only real one that the fans have got any affinity with to a degree because he, he comes out of Upton Park. He lived around the corner. I can remember him walking home after his first team debut with his mates. Uh, you know, so he, he has an affinity with the, with the fans, and he he, he upholds the, the tradition of, of West Ham and the way West Ham play. Uh, and yes, he, he gives he gives that freedom or he gives that opportunity for Declan to to flourish in that midfield. And when Declan made his uh, made his full England debut the other day, I thought he was excellent. You know, so there, there's 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 a a, 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 a a spine in there that is. That is pretty decent, you know, but how long Mark will be able to continue to play and be able to do what he wants and be able to help Declan out is another matter. Jeff, what, sh- what should we be looking to achieve for the for the remainder of this season? Do you think that, I mean, we're five points away from seventh now, um, so that might be a little bit out of reach given the fixtures we've got remaining, but, you know, there's still an opportunity to finish in the top ten. I mean, what, what, sh- what do you think we should be looking to achieve over the next sort of five or six fixtures? Well, there's there's a couple of things here, and one of the one of the questions that came up was uh, at this function that we went to recently, this Q and A, was the uh, the changing of the the team makeup when we get to to uh, cup games, and so uh, there was a real strong emphasis from the people in the audience, and certainly from the the panel, the four of us, saying that West Ham should be playing their strongest team in the cup games because mm-hmm. in reality. That might be the only area of uh, success that they might get is through a cup run and potentially get into a, to a final of some kind because a lot of the teams play their, their, their younger players to help them develop. Uh, so I, th- I think, one, I think that, that's, a, that's something that I think West Ham should be aiming for. But in reality, you know, when you look at the, the finance and the, the impact of the top six, if that's what you want to call them, then to actually break into any of that, then there needs to be a major, major influx of finance to be able to do that and to be able to attract those uh, those bigger-name players to the club. And I'm not sure that that will happen over, over, over the next maybe two to three years or however long that takes before someone comes in and buys a club for mega money. I think you're absolutely bang on about the cup runs, Jeff, because it's also just about giving the fans something to cheer, isn't it? I mean, in a season like this, where if they don't get seventh, an FA Cup run that doesn't end against lower league opposition, I'm not even going to name them, uh, does give the fans something to get behind. It's been lovely chatting to you, Jeff. Just before we let you get going, I'm afraid I've got to put you on the spot. It's Chelsea coming up. School prediction? Well, uh, I, I don't usually uh, predict scores, and uh, the, and I'm pretty useless at predicting them. Uh, so am I, mate. I wouldn't but, worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I would think, uh, with, and that's not being disrespectful to anybody at the club, but I think Chelsea are probably uh, favourites to win the game. Uh, but I would like to think that we might be able to scrape a draw out of it, and if anything, more than that will be a bonus. Wonderful. Well, you heard it here first, Jeff. 
Lovely to speak to you. Thanks for your time. Jeff Pike there, FA Cup winning former West Ham midfielder. Great to chat to him. Stay with us here on the West Ham Fan Show because coming up, how do you solve a problem like Arnautovic? This is Love Sport. It's the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. And at the weekend against Everton, it wasn't just the performance, wasn't just the result that was disappointing, to be honest, because there were also off-pitch concerns involving the fans and a certain player that have given Pellegrini and you two cause for concern. Yeah, well, Arnautovic was taken off in the second half um, and supposedly had a run-in with a fan when he was taken off. When um, we say run-in, Frankie, sort what, what are we talking about? spat shall we say spat Um, he had a polite conversation yeah um, but he again he was just one of the sort of nine or ten players that were very poor in that game Um, and he did get a lot of stick when he came off there was a lot of booze from the fans um, and it does look like his time at West Ham is really coming to an end now and I think we're going to struggle to cash in for as much as we wanted to in the summer for him because there's not there's not going to be many clubs that interested anymore because his form's gone off and his head just doesn't look in football right now. The problem I've got with this is that regardless of whether fans want him to leave, um, uh, I completely get you know the way things happened in January was you know it was it was out of order from him to to even try and push him publicly. It was out of order from his brother, his agent, to to keep going the way he did publicly to push that move to China but at the end of the day he is the player in our in our team at the moment that when he's on his game will score us goals mm. and at the moment we may as well not play him for the rest of the season because if the fans aren't going to be behind him why is he going to play for the football club because why is he going to play for the fans so when he got subbed off at the weekend and everyone's booing I'm looking around going are you lot serious are you lot actually serious like, what, what are you booing for okay you're upset about the way he's behaved but we need this player to to perform for us and you're clearly against him and you've shown he's against him and so I kind of get his reaction when he was sitting on the bench I I completely get it because he's got 60,000 fans there booing him (laughs) but where where does the blame blame, sorry lie for this because I think that's a really interesting point that James has just made but equally Arnautovic does have a reputation as quite a difficult bloke he was highly highly rated as a teenager went to Inter under Mourinho Mourinho was talking him up as this great talent for the future for the whole of European football he then basically because of attitude problems didn't look like making it career is revitalised at Stoke and goes to West Ham and does well I agree with you, James, that booing a player isn't productive. But equally, from the West Ham fans' point of view, they're dealing with a player who they've loved, who they've supported, and who basically, at the first opportunity, mid-season, went, hang on, have I got a few more grand being offered in China? Bye, lads. Only a few. (laughs) Only a few, of course. But can you see where they're coming from? You see, that's what I sort of disagree with you, James, because he lost the respect to the fans the minute he said he was wanted to go to China to win trophies and whatnot, we all knew it was for the money. Why is he? Why is he even saying that? Like, well, it's a very prestigious league, apparently. <laughs> no, he can play in the Champions. <laughs> oh no, oh, no, no, he couldn't do that. <laughs> no, but that's, this is what I'm saying. Like, if I, to, to be honest, if fans want to boo him now after all that's happened and all these videos saying I'm back with a pay increase to the end of the season, to be honest, I don't have much of a deal with that. I, I'm I'm quite for it because. He's lost the respect to the fans. He hasn't performed since. He said, I'll be back and I'm going to push for seventh. 
So what, what respect is there? Would you boo him, Frankie? I mean, oh. were you there? Did you boo him? Would you boo him? If I wouldn't say I would boo him like all the fans were proper booing him, but I can see why just, fans just a were quiet booing him. boo. Just a sort of boo. yeah, get off, come on, next <laughs> your time's up. But but no, I just, I've I've lost respect for Arnautovic. I think he's done at West Ham, and I don't want to see him here next season. I mean, I, I've always, regardless of your thoughts on on which or any player that you know might have said things that you're not happy with I've always been against booing your own players yeah um, because you find it has a negative effect in the case of Arnautovich it's a, it's a special case in that you know he's asked to leave he wanted to leave he didn't leave but I suppose the, the issue with Arnautovich is that you know after that Wimbledon defeat it comes out I mean the PR the massive like, mess up from the club in terms of PR like what is it? Mm. Ten minutes after we lose to Wimbledon, Wimbledon in the cup, yeah. suddenly it's like, oh, look who signed the new contract, and it's like, no, 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 no this is not. <laughs> um, so, but he's come out going, I'm back. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, oh, I can't wait to play again in front of the fans. And then the, he, he plays in front of the fans. He's, he hasn't been very good ever since ever since that moment. But mm. then the fans boo him, and it's like, well, how do you expect him to start sco- uh, scoring goals for us and wanting to score goals for us and playing well when you're booing him? I get it. Um, He's not. He's a shadow of the player that he was, and you know we're going to sell him in the summer. We try and get every uh, as many millions as we can for him. But I, I just now I just think we need to get behind him between now and the middle of May, and then just wave you know wave goodbye to him. Yeah, I mean it's it's very similar to the conversation we were having, James, after the Huddersfield game, where we were saying that actually when the atmosphere at the London Stadium was negative when the team went down, the players didn't really play well at all and as soon as they got one goal back the crowd got up the players got up as well and actually I take your point because even if Arnautovic is being hopeless even if he's behaved badly if you shout at him and tell him he's rubbish he's not going to do a good job he's not going to play for you that's about as close to ranting as I'm going to get about Marco Arnautovic but I know a man who would like to vent properly not just about everyone's favourite love to hate Austrian striker but also the Everton result more generally a West Ham well balls on the line pod and of course West Ham fan show favourite Will Pugh joins us on the line evening mate thanks very much for getting on the line I'm just going to let you vent because I want to ask about Arnautovic but first we just go but get it all out I think I'm a little bit I'm mainly upset about the fact that there hasn't been much um, woe that I'm not on the show tonight. No, there's, a, there's loads. There's loads of woe. We well. just we just didn't want to bring it up, mate, because we're that upset. Now, well, <laughs> well, this is the thing. Fair we decided enough. it would be more professional to do it off air, right? So James walked in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a sad embrace. Uh, we cried yeah. into each other's shoulders, uh, and then okay. Frankie was so good, mate, that frankly, you might not be coming back. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. I'll be honest. <laughs> um, yeah. No. I, I, the, the game of the weekend. I know you've sort of covered covered most of it, and yeah, I agree with most of what was said by uh, by both of the lads. I think the one thing that did make me laugh, though, that we haven't won four home games in a row since May two thousand and two under Glenn Roda. So I think it might have been a bit of a stretch to assume we were going to do that anyway. It was also Everton, which are a bogey team, so I don't like to say I told you so. I did go, you know, guess two all when everyone had a go at me for it. Um, I think Mark Noble apparently was missing for some personal reasons, uh, so I'm not sure that was. I know there's some clamour sort of surrounding that his omission and, and obviously Obiang's performance 
in his place wasn't exactly uh, didn't exactly tear any trees up. But I'm, I'm led to believe that it was a personal reason that he missed that game. Um, but yeah, not very good really, was it? When your goalkeeper's the man of the match and you've lost two 0 at home, it's just it wasn't impressive by any stretch of the imagination. And I think Marco Silva got it right in his post-match comments when he said that you know we were lucky that they weren't four 0 up at half-time. Zuma's goals, you know, just like one of the three that Huddersfield managed to score against us. And that's seven goals in three games we've conceded against, you know, Cardiff, Huddersfield, two teams, one that's certainly going down, another one that probably will. And, you know, Everton are going to be mid-table this season. I don't want to, don't want to overdo it because I think the boys have done it already, but just, just not really, not really that good at all, will it? Mate, what, what do you think of the whole on out of which thing? Um, I mean, you and I have spoken about it a lot in, in previous shows. Sort of whether you know whether he's giving his all, whether he's not, and obviously he gets booed off against Everton. I mean, what are your thoughts on sort of what happened in the aftermath? Uh, I think damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Really, he it was it was all a bit of a strange situation in the first place. I heard what Frankie said just now, which was right about him saying that you know he was he wanted to go on and win silverware that was that was laughable at the time obviously and you should have just come out and said it was about money i i don't think he's he's pulling his weight as much since but i think it's just a mental thing anyway i think that the mental side of of everything that happened his head was obviously turned and that's what he wanted to do it didn't come to fruition and i think that's affected him and we don't know obviously what conversations are going on in the background with him but he's obviously going to be trying to strike up a deal in the summer and it just feels a little bit like when you're at a job and you've handed your notice in and if you've got a three-month notice to work you're not really committed to what you're doing until that day you leave because your your mind's already on the thing that you're doing next you just you know, i've got that sort of sense about him and i think i don't know the thing afterwards i think both both parties are right really the people in the crowd have paid their money they got the right to boo or cheer who they want um, I'm a bit with you, James, as as much as I think that between now and the end of the season, if we want to do anything at all special, maybe, you know, I think seventh is probably dead now, but if we wanted to do that, then he might have been the man to do it. But it just, the, the whole thing just seems a bit, from Arnautovic's point of view, the crowd and that in the team, that the, the season's just sort of coming to an end with a whimper, doesn't it? Will, what do you think was the main reason for that performance? Do you think Pellegrini should take most of the blame or do you think it's the players' performance as much as anything? Well, it's funny, actually, because I, I spoke to, um, or briefly on Twitter with Baz Cox after the game and he would come out and was quite damning of Pellegrini. And at first I was a bit like, whoa, because I did agree with him. I thought the, the, the team selection, I did think was weird at first. I didn't, I didn't know about the Noble thing until later on. Uh, but I thought that was strange. The Perez, I didn't get that. I ne- uh, Hernandez's admission, I assumed, was something to do with the international break. But I, I, on the whole, I find it a bit hard to, I find it a bit hard to sort of really give it to Pellegrini. A because it's sort of a bit like shouting at your granddad. But mainly <laughs> is because... that something you do often? Well, well, exactly. No, I've never done that in my whole life. <laughs> um, but not not just that. I just think I'm really glad that he's in charge and I want him to be there next season and you know the results forgiving obviously the, the season after and the season after that I like what he's doing for the club and I like the idea that he's, he's a long-term prospect if you like and 
so I, I do find it hard to pin all the blame on him. I think he's done good work in his first season. So no, I, hard to throw throw a load of mud at him. I think after just after a game like that. Do you disagree, Frankie? No, I think I think Pellegrini got the tactics wrong. I don't think we should have started four four two. Um, I think Antonio should have played in in front of Snodgrass. Um, it would have given us mm. a bit more pace and a bit more, bit more of an attacking threat because um, we were very predictable going forwards and hopeless at the back. Um, but no, I think I think the players just didn't perform. That there wasn't an effort from the players. The the, the bare minimum you ask from your players is that they put in a hundred percent, and we were mm. we were at jogging pace for 80, 85 minutes of the game. Um, so no, I do agree with what you were saying. I don't think Pellegrini's completely to blame, but I think he did get it the setup wrong, and his stubbornness not to change it was probably costly. Well, it's been great having you on the line. Not quite the same as having you in the studio. We are still weeping silently. We'll have you back soon, and we will, of course, let you get back to shouting at your granddad. But just before we do that, I'm going to have to press you for a score prediction for the weekend, mate. No, I felt, yeah, I, I always fancy that um, fancy us against Chelsea. We always tend to do all right when we turn up at Stamford Bridge. So I'm going to I'm going to actually be pretty confident. So I reckon we'll nick it two one. Nick it 2-1. He's a confident man. He's a West Ham fan show man and he'll be back with us before long. Will Pugh of Bulls on the Line pod there. Thanks ever so much for calling in. Will, now, we've heard a lot about players who could be leaving the club, not least Arnautovic. And coming up, we'll talk about a few who could be signing for West Ham. This is Love Sport. It may be the West Ham fan show here on Love Sport Radio, but we have, of course, got Premier League action from around the country to bring you updates from throughout the show so we've got Chelsea versus Brighton and Hove Albion Man City versus Cardiff City and also apparently it's a vaguely important night for Tottenham Hotspur um no it's not even televised it can't be that important I've heard something about there's a new bit of grass somewhere Mm -hmm. in North London and everyone's getting very excited don't know what you're talking about um (laughs) (laughs) something going on in North London and um yeah it's I hope they lose desperately. I hope they lose. <laughs> Sorry, and what is going on in North Okay, London? so Tottenham, I mean, we're just looking at it now, and they've got a little light show going on. It's all really fantastic. And the, this is, of course, the opening of the new stadium. Now, it does look good. No, don't get me wrong, right? And I'll give it to them. It looks great, but they've got that. They've got that on um, on the the back of basically mugging West Ham off of actually buying the London Stadium. Um, and now the taxpayer, as a result of Tottenham's antics many, many years ago when we were going for that, uh, are now paying for West Ham Stadium, and Tottenham have got that instead. So who's the real winners here? Who are the the real losers? I don't know. Um, I just hope they lose. It does look very nice. (laughs) They've got some singers on the pitch now. It's quite Um, weird, this. It's the opening ceremony. It's all all strange. They floodlit the centre circle. I was expecting some kind of Olympic style, maybe a nice Tongan bloke with a flag walking through topless, but we've got two people singing and a sort of Weird band seemingly consisting of just... It's like a choir or something, uh, There's it? a choir in the background, and there's a couple of trumpeters, a couple of drummers, uh, and everyone seems to be up for it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, if, if they don't lose tonight, then I can, I'm pretty sure West Ham will be the first team to beat them. At, uh, what they called it, the, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is boring. Um, <laughs> so, tell us what you really think, James. Um, <laughs> we, we're going to be the first thing. Um, I hope Palace do the job tonight. I mean, it'd be brilliant if Tottenham don't finish in the top four for obvious reasons because they made a big deal out about this, haven't they? So um, I don't normally say this, but at the Palace. Go on, well, Palace. Okay, so I'm going to give you two options. Either 
Which would you prefer, right? Palace beat Spurs tonight and they ruin their big party, their big opening day. Or Spurs get the win and it's a happy beginning, but West Ham get to be the ones to ruin the record at the new stadium. Which would you pick? Us every day. Us beating them. Really? 100%. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do it yourselves. Yeah. Make it personal. Or we just have both. (laughs) well that's another possibility imagine that lord above the pressure Pochettino would be under but turning our attentions back to West Ham and turning our attentions to the transfer window which will be opening in a couple of months we've heard that Arnausovic will probably be heading for the exit door but in terms of people who could be walking through it in the right direction are there any names you're excited about? Well there's been a couple come out today Gary Medell was someone we were linked with back in January a boring signing, something not really to get excited about. I was about to say, does that signing excite <laughs> no, you? No, it the does not. The answer is apparently not. <laughs> um, I think Victor Camarasso, he's on loan at Cardiff right now. Um, he's being linked. He's got a 20 million buyout clause or something. Um, I don't know much too about much about him, really. I haven't really heard anything about him. He's been quite handy this season. He scored yeah. a very nice goal uh, against Chelsea at the weekend. He's quite good at taking corners, offers something different. I think in quite an indifferent Cardiff team going forward he's been the sort of star man I don't think he's been a star mm. but you know I mean he's yeah. been the standout there Gary Medal, I think is quite quite an effective holding midfielder I'd be interested to hear your thoughts James I'm just incapable of looking at him as a pro- potential transfer signing without remembering a that his one season in English football was for that terrible Cardiff team who got relegated and the second thing is his performances in that season were deemed so bad that Cardiff actually tried to sue the scouts responsible for signing him on grounds that they'd overpaid yeah at the beginning Uh, they tried to bring litigation against the then manager as well Malky Mackay who was eventually off the hook it went to the high court it was all very messy so when a player has been so bad that the club tried to sue the scout that might perfect for West Ham (laughs) might be a red flag that is a red flag I didn't know that until now Um, I always thought that you know if we do sign and then yeah okay you could do the numbers in midfield and you know you can play in defence as well you can just be a backup Mm. but now I've heard that I mean we'd rather not well, he was really good afterwards, it should be said. Went to Inter, did well there. He's now in Turkey, been doing quite well there. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a thing, no disrespect to Turkey and their league, but I find that the Turkish league these days is is a bit of a graveyard for, for, for players. For Samir Nasri. For, for Samir, I mean, Samir Nasri, I mean, we've already seen him, have we really? But when we have seen him, he's been pretty good. But there's been a lot of players that have gone over to Turkey and we've never seen them again. Um, and it has become a bit of a graveyard. So, I don't know... If, if we do sign him and he comes on the cheap or a free, then I suppose if it's a free transfer, I suppose you can't really turn your nose up at it, really. Mm. Um, but there, that aside, there are so many other little players that we're, we're being linked with. One player I'd love us to see um, sign, and Frankie, I was talking to you about it earlier before we went on air, is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Mm. Going to be difficult with um, Chelsea's transfer ban, but I think you know he's the perfect sort of player that we can get in. Um, it might cost us a few bob. But he can play anywhere across the front three. He'd help Declan Rice out in midfield. Um, he's young. He's hungry. If he does leave Chelsea, he's going to want to prove himself um, like a lot of players that have left Chelsea and gone on to bigger and better things. I think sort of Declan player, Rice. Declan Rice. Kevin De Bruyne. I'm not, um, who else? Who Salah. Else Salah. Lukaku. Lukaku. So many players have left Chelsea and then gone on to bigger and better things. I'm not saying Loftus-Cheek's going to go and then become a, like, a world-class footballer. Well, he might. He might, mm. but... Um, I think he's the sort of player that will leave the club and then, you know, 
have something to prove. And I think if if he if he, if we could get someone like him on board um, for what twenty million, twenty thirty million, I think that'd be a really shrewd signing. A really shrewd signing. Yeah, that would be a statement of intent because. Mark Noble can't play 38 games a season now. Uh, as much as we love him, as much as we'd want him to, just Declan Rice needs another midfielder to balance it out and sort of part, sort of form a partnership with. Because when you've got midfielders coming in and out every game, like Obiang has done, um, it's not easy for Rice to sort of settle down and find a partnership. He can find a solid partner to to play in midfield with, someone of Loftus-Cheek's quality. Um, it would be fantastic for us next season, but it, it's a bit of a unrealistic signing in my opinion because I don't think Chelsea will let him go that easy the big position in terms of a transfer target for West Ham is striker if we're assuming that Arnautovic will be going there's talk of a replacement we of course have seen in January quite heavy linking with uh, Maxi Gomez of Celta Vigo Mm -hmm. but another name that's being talked about which I think would be an incredible signing is Andrea Bellotti yeah I mean I saw this yesterday and we were linked with him in the in, in January Big um, money, by the way. It would big be. money. We're, we're talking over 40 million quid. Um, but you know, if we can get something like that for an out of it, then that's mm. paid for. Um, but Bellotti, I mean, he's an absolute beast on Football Manager a few years ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's ruined many you, an evening for you, me. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he's 25 now. You get the feeling that he probably needs a move away from, from Italy to really fulfil his potential. But he's hit double figures in goals for the last four years. With that? For Torino. Do you think he's possibly dining out on a couple of years ago so this year currently he's got 10 in Serie A last year he got 10 in Serie A that's a respectable respectable return one Mm -hmm. in three but it's 16-17 season where everyone started really talking about him he was linked to Chelsea to United he scored 26 in 35 he got eight assists if you can get him repeating that kind of form he will be absolutely unbelievable yeah I think I think he'd, he'd be He'd be the the statement of intent, I think, that the club needs. And he would be unbelievable. You know, he's he's quick, he's strong, he can certainly finish, as you can see by his goal record for Torino. Um and he at, at twenty five, he's still got, you know, the best the best you know, his best years ahead of him. Uh there would be question marks on whether he could then repeat that, that sort of form sort of outside of Italy. But he's an Italy international, um so you'd think that he'd be good enough to do so. Um, so I mean, if you if you can get him for forty million, then you know you'd you'd, you'd definitely go for it. Definitely. Which of him and Maxi Gomez would you prefer? Gomez has got ten goals in La Liga as well in twenty six this year. So you're possibly looking at a fairly similar kind of goal return, mm. but quite different players. Well, I've seen a bit of both. Um, when we were linked to Maxi Gomez in January, I started watching a couple of games, and I don't think he's scored many since then. He's got one, I think, one goal, Christmas. yeah, and they're Heads struggling. turned by West Ham. Yeah. Um, but no, out of the two, I think Bellotti would uh, would definitely suit our style better um, rather than Maxi Gomez. But then they're both good strikers and I'd take both, either of them, to be honest. I think they're both an improvement on what we've got at the moment. And the encouraging thing for West Ham is that these aren't sort of slight transfer rumours. They're not the kind of link where you hear it and you go, nah. The Maxi Gomez link isn't going away. He scored 18 goals in the Liga last year and the Bellotti one doesn't seem hopeless. So it could be a quite encouraging summer again. Well, I, I heard yesterday that Bellotti was upset that he didn't get a move in in January uh, to West Ham. Apparently, we, we oh, wanted really? to buy him and Torino. Torino mm. were a little bit... Uh, they were like, no, he's not going in the middle of the season. And he was a little bit upset about that. Obviously, that wasn't made public, but behind the scenes, he was a little bit annoyed that it wasn't entertained. 
So I, was, you know, I reckon if we could go in the early doors in the summer and go, right, OK, here's your money, I think there's a big chance that we could get him because, I mean, I would question why a player of his ability would be really, really keen on signing for West Ham. I know that we've got, you know, we've got stadium, you know, we're pushing the top 10 of the Premier League, but there, surely there are other clubs competing in European competition that would be interested in signing him. Well, I'm just thinking, do West Ham have some kind of history of enigmatic Italian forwards? Um, Zaza. <laughs> Diaman- <laughs> Diamante was wonderful. Oh, he was fantastic. There, there, is, there is a big name that springs to mind, though. Obviously, Paolo, yeah. Um, maybe, maybe he's watched Paolo you, growing up. And he maybe, thinks. but then you don't compare to Paolo. No one compares to Paolo. <laughs> no one. Is that the West Ham version of Nothing Compares to You? Yes. Yeah. That would yeah. be quite a good cover. Maybe you should do a West Ham World version, just staring at a framed picture of Decanio. <laughs> Yeah, I do that most nights. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. and writing to the FA going, where is Mark Noble's England cap? Where is it? It needs to happen. <laughs> Stay with us here on the West Ham Fan Show because coming up, chances of finishing seventh for the club. Have they blown it? This is Love Sport. Sport. The race for seventh. It might not be the most glamorous race in the Premier League, but it's an important one because, of course, it can lead to qualification for the Europa League. Something we talked about a lot on this show. Is it something West Ham can achieve? Is it something West Ham should want to achieve? But it was a bad, bad weekend for West Ham, not just in terms of their results, but in terms of results around them. Well, it started okay. Saturday, what, half past four Saturday afternoon, I thought, brilliant. Hmm. We've got a chance. Watford lost. Um, Wolves lost. It was a brilliant win today. Going to seventh, happy days. Um, and then obviously that didn't happen. And then last night, Wolves win, Watford win, and suddenly we're we're five points adrift and in eleventh. Do you think um, it's gone? I think it's gone. Um, I mean, part of me even thinks that it was never really there. And the reason why I think that was because we had, now we had five opportunities. It's like you're to, talking after a breakup. James. I know. I know. <laughs> was it ever really real? I mean, did you hear my voice crack a little bit there? Almost, <laughs> almost burst into tears. Um, I, the reason why I think that is because five times this season we've had the opportunity to win and go seventh, mm. and we've lost every single one of them. All of them to teams that we should be beating: Bournemouth, Everton, um, I think probably Brighton, Burnley, Burnley. And it's, that's frustrating. That's really, really frustrating. I just think that it's, it's clearly not meant to be this year. No, I agree. Um, I think that's it now with the fixtures we've got coming up. As you said, I don't think it was really there. Um, we were sort of flirting with it a bit, but we never really made a statement and actually pushed into top seven to sort of put the other teams under pressure. It was always us under the pressure, and we bottled it every time. So I think that's gone now. We should just target top ten. Um get our summer business sorted quite early, try and get the players that want to leave, get them out and get fresh new players in. And hopefully Pellegrini's second season, we can judge him a bit more on that because he would have had his first season now out of the way. The second season's the one we should be judging him on, in my opinion. We've talked a lot about that so-called big team mentality. I think we can't avoid the fact that what you were just saying there, James, that when you've had these opportunities to capitalise, to play against teams you should be beating and break into that higher level, you haven't done it. Whereas in the games that seem to be less important or have less riding on them, the success is there. Do you think this team is struggling to cope with pressure? I think there is an aspect of that in there. Um, But then... a lot of, actually to be fair you're right I think a lot of players um, have come out recently and said that you know um, it's it's not we don't have that 
that right mentality there. You know, the big team mentality is all very well, but you know, if you're going to have big team mentality, you need to be able to play in every single situation, uh, in every single scenario, with all the pressure on you, or with no pressure on you. Should still be able to play at the same level. Uh, clearly, they haven't got that. I don't know whether it's a case of it's been Pellegrini's tried to instill a lot of that too much too soon on them, mm. in that it's been you know, here I am, you know, world class manager. I've won the Premier League before. Um, this is how I want you to play. This is how you want you to think. Um, go off and do it. Uh, and then after a while, they've gone. Oh, oh blimey! No, <laughs> no, I don't know how to do this. Um, it's worked in stages, and we've seen it work. You know, it's not as if we've only beaten the top six this year. We have beaten you know teams around us. Yeah. Um, but it's not been consistent enough, and I think that's the issue. Um, and I think you're right, Frankie, in that the second season is is going to be the one that we judge Pellegrini on because he'd have had two summers in terms of a transfer window. I think last summer the hundred million pound outlay was laying the foundations for what's to come, um, and we have had our, our bad luck with injuries, which seems to be every year forever mm. that we always have injuries to key players. So by next season we'll have Yarmolenko back and hopefully a batch, you know, a batch of players at the club that want to play for us. A quick goal update from the Etihad. You got to feel for Cardiff. Six minutes in, it's City one. Cardiff nil could be a long night for the Bluebirds Kevin De Bruyne making it one very very early on the assist there from Imerick Laporte is the potential of missing out on seventh for West Ham a possible blessing in disguise I mean it's one of those things where we've we've talked do we want it do we want to miss out on it it's almost the kind of thing where you only realize that you actually wanted to finish seventh when you don't but come the beginning of next season particularly if you get a nasty start to the season in terms of fixtures might you just look back on this and think actually you know what we dodged a bullet there i think it's a bit of both i think our squad is good enough to finish seventh which is why it annoys me that we're not sort of up there right now and we're now five points behind the likes of watford and wolves who are having good seasons um but yeah, like you said, I think it could be a blessing in disguise because I don't think our squad is ready for Europe. Um, and especially with all the players that could be leaving this summer, coming back early for European extra, what, three, four, five extra European games could be could take a toll on our, on our Premier League season for next year. So maybe it is a bit of a blessing in disguise. Um, it gives Pellegrini a bit more chance to improve his squad. And as I said, we'll, we'll judge him on the second season and... I think next season is when we should be targeting Europe when he's made two lots of summer transfer windows his own. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think we've spoken before um, that it's all very well finishing seventh. And, you know, you got you can say, oh, yeah, we finished seventh that year. But, yeah, what happened the following year? Well, you, you started your season on the 3rd of Jan- uh, July uh, and you got beat by the Romanian giants of Astro. Juriju. <laughs> very nicely pronounced. Um, thank you. And... Uh, I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, laugh at us for the whole Astra thing. Um, I'd rather not go through that again, even if Astra are quite, you know, quite a good side. So weird, this one of my, my housemates got. I knew he said one of my housemates' girlfriends. If she's listening, he's just got the one. But my housemate's <laughs> girlfriend is called Astra, and I find it so odd hearing beaten by Astra. You think, what? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. But now I just think that you know, just the last thing we need is, I mean, given what's happened previously, and we've seen it with Everton last year, Burnley this season, it tends to ruin the rest of your season if you have to go into the Europa League in those sort of early qualifiers, the first qualifying round, have to do three or four rounds before you get to the, the group stage. Um, 
I just don't think we need that, you know. What we should have done, um, and we touched on it earlier, we should have prioritised the FA Cup and we should have gone on one the FA Cup and gone straight into the group stage. If we, if the club wants to be in the European competition, we need to forget trying to finish seventh and, and trying to then get through with the qualifiers and start your season in June or wherever it is and actually go and try and win a trophy. Try and win the League Cup or the Carabao Cup. That's the most attainable trophy mm. there is to win. And the club and, and this season, I know you know we got you know we weren't lucky with a draw in the Carabao Cup in terms of we got Tottenham, but like come on, go, let's do it, let's do it with the way we can Give actually it celebrate bit. it, a bit of glory, you know, rather than go ah, oh, you know, we just well we finished seventh. And when you lads look at the current team still in the FA Cup, do you look at that and think actually there is there is a possibility there if we were still in this we could have won it? Yeah, exactly. You've got the likes of Watford and Wolves now in it, and Brighton, three teams that. I feel like we have a better team than maybe Wolves is a bit debatable, but I f- I'd fancy us against any of those three teams. Um, and what pains us more is the fact that if we'd have beat uh, Wimbledon, we'd have had Millwall and Brighton in the lead-up to a chance to go to Wembley, which would have been fantastic for the club and the fans, and ultimately the owners. It would have really helped them get the fans get off their back a bit mm. and show a bit bit of intent to go and win something rather than, like you said, James, just sort of flirt with seventh and not really aim to win anything I mean you look at it now and you, you know Wolves and Watford both in it they're both you know, playing each other this weekend in the semi-final those two both could conceivably be finished seventh they're both battling for seventh mm. I would argue that both of those sides are going don't really want to finish seventh we'd rather win the FA Cup because it's a route straight into the group stages yeah so I would say that whoever loses um Whoever loses that uh, that semi final between the two will probably finish seventh, but you know because that's their, that's their last opportunity to to try and get into European competition. You know, mm. whoever wins that game is probably going to go. Well, you know, we've got an opportunity here, um, and I just think those two teams have done it right. They still battle for seventh, but then they've gone. But we can win a cup as well. Mm. Like, why haven't we done that? It had to be the target, particularly because we'll be looking at the run-in in a lot of detail at the moment, but a recent article from the Daily Telegraph listed West Ham's run-in as the third hardest in the whole of the league, so it could be a tough, tough couple of months. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow, and I'm joined in the studio by James Jones and Frankie Levin of West Ham World. Time to turn our attentions to the run-in, specifically West Ham's run-in, and it actually makes for quite creepy reading. Yeah, you say that, but we've been better against the top six so this season. So You'd rather have City, 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 Liverpool. No, you can leave City out of that. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, it is quite difficult on paper, isn't it? I mean, Chelsea away on Monday, and then what is it after that? Man United Man away, United away, and then we've got Leicester at home, and then Tottenham away. Which Tottenham away, we're already winning. We've already decided. Yeah, we've, that. we've established yeah, that we've straight forward. That. So that's three points. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it when I looked at fixtures the other day. We've only got two home games left, um, which is annoying, really, because you know, at a time when we kind of need to get our form back, we've been awful away from home recently mm. over the last few months. And now we've got to spend the most of the rest of the season away from home. So it's frustrating. But, I mean, as we've already kind of established, you know, the season's kind of over now. So it's just kind of, if we, you know, our we've still got to play Southampton, um, Watford, 
and Leicester mm. outside the teams we've still got to play in the top six. Pick up points against those, and I reckon a top ten finish is doable. Um, but we've still got to rely on those teams and teams around us to drop points when we are also dropping points against the top six, um, which is difficult. So I wouldn't be surprised if we, we, we end the season in Liverpool 12, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think, well, like you said, we haven't won away since December. Um, Chelsea haven't lost at home since December. So it's going to be a tough one to go there and actually get something from it. But we've been quite quite good at Stamford Bridge in recent years. We drew one all day last season. Um, and like you said, we do better against the top six, so it wouldn't surprise me if we got something from the Chelsea game. Um, Man United were playing playing them in between their, their their Champions League games against Barcelona. Could have one eye off of it, but it's very wishful thinking, I must say. But you never know with West Ham. The problem with City is they can have both eyes off it, play their third team and still have a sort of Champions League level side out on the mm. pitch. I'm interested that both run-ins for Watford and West Ham end with each other. It's Vicarage Road on the 12th of May. That's the last game of the season. Do you think that could be a sort of playoff for seventh place or do you think you might be out the running before that? Well, a couple of weeks ago, I looked at it and went, that could, that could potentially be the case, you know, that you know, whoever wins that gets it. But now, after what's happened over the last maybe seven to ten days, I think that I don't think we will be in it. Um... I think we might just be a little bit, a little bit short, even with a win. Um, it might be a case if we beat them and, and and finish ninth, or potentially eighth. And you know, I think Wolves will finish seventh in the end. Mm. Um, and it might be a case that we beat them into eighth on that day. But you know, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, you could have said, yeah, that could be the shootout for for seventh. But I don't think that's the case anymore. I think you know that we've we've missed the boat with that defeat against Everton, given the results that went our way at the weekend. Um, and when you also consider the runner fixtures we've got coming up, you know, Frankie's right. We have been pretty good against Chelsea over the last couple of seasons uh, away from home um, and even at home. Mm. Um, but, you know, Chelsea, is, they've still got a huge opportunity to finish in the top four. They can't really afford not to finish in the top four this season. Do you think they will? Uh, it's looking pretty tough for them now. It's looking tough. Um, it, it's difficult to say. I mean, you know... Sari doesn't like changing from his tactics, weirdly enough. Um, and it seems at this stage of the season, a lot of teams are beginning to cotton on to that and uh, trying to expose that a little bit, which is working against them a little bit. But It seems worryingly simple, doesn't it? That if you stick a bloke on Jorginho, Chelsea suddenly aren't going to play. Uh, they're currently nil-nil with Brighton. The other scores are City 1-0 up against Cardiff. And for that grand opening, the upset is still on the cards. It's Tottenham nil, Crystal Palace nil. Of course, the guys in the, st- in the studio with me are really supporting Spurs. They want them to enjoy their big evening and just have a really nice start to life in their new home. Uh, I don't know who else you got in the studio, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, not over here. Um, yeah, come Palace. You know, I mean, me and Will we spoken about last last week about that that video of a Tottenham fan crying because he was so amazed oh. at how, how great the stadium was, and he was going, "Oh, so it's incredible." I had a chat with the Spurs fans, by the way, about that. I said that we'd been talking about that on the show, and that you guys have been going have a word with yourself not just because he was crying but also because the absolutely terrible clobber he had on at the same time yeah they were having none of it they said listen it's emotion it's this the stadium is so good that grown man will and should cry well hopefully they'll be crying tonight after <laughs> for very i won't have reasons. that I, I don't get that at all i don't get that at all you can't cry over a stadium but you, like could a new stadium. you can cry if you've le- left the stadium and you I mean, can I cry, cry over a game couldn't you you can cry over a, yeah a game that means something 
Um, you can cry when you leave a stadium. You know, I, I will openly admit I cried on when we left Upton Park, brought my eyes out, uh, and I'm sure Tottenham fans did. You know, the same on their last day at uh, White Hart Lane before they moved back into White Hart Lane. <laughs> um, but yeah, not when you just walks into a stadium and going, oh look, this is this is impressive. Come Ooh, on, there's a cheese room. I, I better oh, weep. Oh look, there's a four pound beer. But they Come fell up on. from the bottom, James. Come on. Or uh, in that case, then, pull your eyes out. You know, <laughs> fill, fill the pint up with your tears. <laughs> Might be there a while, or perhaps not. He was going for it. Uh, <laughs> you wonder whether the fans will get on their backs tonight. I mean, we've heard so much. I mean, I say we. I have heard so much from the Spurs fans on the Spurs fan show about how wonderful the stadium is, and they're bang on it is, and how incredible the atmosphere is going to be, because everyone's so excited. As you point out, James, not so much to just be moving into a new ground, but also to be moving home. But this is a big game. It's an absolutely huge evening for Spurs. The result is vitally important. The form they're on is shoddy at best. And you just think, if it gets to 65-70, it's still nil-nil, let alone Crystal Palace leading. Do you think that those fans might change from excitement to get on with it? Um, Potentially, yeah. There could be a sense of wanting a bit more urgency from them, but... I don't think they'll have many problems tonight. I think they'll win. Um, and if we, if West Ham had the chance to um, to to build a stadium where Upton Park was, brand new stadium, mm. how fantastic would that have been? So yeah, yeah. you can't really complain at how excited they've been with the stadium and the move. And looking at our move compared to theirs, but then again, look at the prices of their tickets. It's ridiculous. So. It works in both ways. Yes, they get in a fantastic stadium, but look at the prices they're having to pay for it. The focus, of course, for us is on games played either in West Ham Stadium or by West Ham away. One such fixture is Chelsea on Monday. And coming up, we'll be getting the opposition view from Chion Carbis, who is editor at Chelsea Fancast. This is Love Sport. Yep, it's that time in the show where we hear from the team who West Ham are up against next. And I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line by Gion Carbis, who's an editor at Chelsea Fancast. And who has really kindly, it has to be said, taken time out from watching his beloved Blues, who are currently tying nil-nil with Brighton, to chat to us. Gion, thanks ever so much. How are you? And are you I'm confident? Good, are you Glad to hear it. Are you confident, first of all, about tonight's game? Uh, about tonight's game, I think, yes. Uh, purely because Sarri's been far more creative, far more intuitive and far more adaptive with the lineup. I think he's made seven changes tonight, which is um, quite immense. It's an immense number for the Premier League, particularly given his sub- uh, stubbornness and um, recent narrow-mindedness. And I think that in the early stages of this game, it's probably been one of the most fluid uh, renditions of Sarri ball that we've seen in the second half of this season. So from that aspect, I am quite optimistic for this game, particularly given the fact that Brighton have an FA Cup semi-final to look forward towards on the weekend. But, uh, uh, you know, focusing on Monday night against yourself, I'm not so confident of a, of a result on that occasion. Heon, um I think, you know, you just touched on it there, that, you know, Richard Sarri's been quite stubborn, quite narrow-minded in this. I mean, pretty much for the entire season, really. He's not really strayed away from, from what he believes in and what's working and what isn't working. You know, I mean, what are your thoughts on Sarri in, in that respect? Do you think that... You know, he deserves another crack at it next season, you know, depending on whether you do finish in the top four or not, or do you, would you rather see the back of him regardless? To be honest with you, I'd rather see the back of him, and purely because when, he's, when he was appointed Chelsea manager, he said that his 
primary responsibility was to improve the players that he had at his disposal. And he wasn't particularly interested by the transfer market. And now it seems that sort of the rhetoric, the narrative has changed to Sarri will only be able to fully implement his desired style of play with the necessary um, additions in terms of technical players who are well attuned to playing free-flowing, expansive football. So that's one primary contradiction already. And secondly, it's almost as if that he's been so narrow-minded and so sort of loyal to a system that hasn't got the best out of his players. It's quite bizarre. And, and, and particularly since the turn of the year, my, my problems with Sarri was predominantly more with the performances rather than the results. But of late, you've seen uh, a sudden, uh, quite a sudden deterioration in results, of course, I think most notably the 6-0 demolition of the Etihad, the 4-0 defeat of the Vitality, but even in games such as the 2-0 defeat of the Emirates to Arsenal, the 2-0 defeat at Goodison, the 1-1 draw against Wolves. You know, we were devoid of imagination, devoid of intuition, devoid of any creativity. There's no enterprise. And, you know, this is an individual who was brought to the club to institute attractive, free-flowing, expansive football. And there's anything but that at the moment. And, you know, particularly if the transfer ban does come into effect, then, you know, that's almost a, a, an insurmountable impediment to any potential success. So it is quite worrying in that regard. And I think that's probably um, sort of the, the reasoning behind... Um, my, uh, my 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 stance at the moment. Hion, um, regards to Callum Hudson Odoi, um, he's he's been heavily in in the media recently, uh, given his fantastic performance for England, arguably their best player the other day. Um, he starts tonight for the first time. Do you think he's almost been bullied into starting him there? Well, yes, I do, but I think it's almost justifiably so, considering the fact that you have. William and Pedro, who are both ageing, despite the fact they've been tremendous servants to the club, we have to recognise that their their influence is dwindling in that regard. And um, you know, you, you you look at the the statistical output of Pedro this season, and he's having the best goal scoring season he's had in the Premier League. But his overall um, influence, you know, sort of beyond the remit of the final third of the pitch, I think you can fit, it's fair to say that, that, that that's uh, dwindling. And considering, of course, the uncertainty that surrounds Eden Hazard's immediate future, you know, this is a time where Chelsea should be looking to build for the future, particularly um, taking the transfer ban into account with Callum Hudson Odoi at the heart uh, of that um, future, not, you know, an individual whose who's immediate future is fraught with great uncertainty due to the intensified uh, interest from Bayern Munich and also murmurs of other European clubs looking at him. And, you know, we should be we should be entrusting him with significant involvement, more frequent involvement in the Premier League is almost an indication of the value in which the club placed in him, of the faith in which the club faith in him. And, you know, Chelsea, uh, as you all well know, that our, our record at youth integration isn't particularly favourable. And I think Callum Hudson <laughs> That's Doyle, one way of putting it, Eon. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> quite diplomatic of me, if I do say so myself. But, uh, you know, it's, it, this is an opportunity with the likes of Callum hudson Doyle, with Ethan Ampadu, you look at Mason Mount and Rhys James, who are thriving out on loan. Um, given sort of the current economic circumstances of the club as well, the recent financial pragmatism, the uncertainty with Roman Abramovich, this is the most opportune moment in Chelsea's uh, recent history to make purposeful strides in youth development. And I think it would be a, a, a complete waste if 
if Callum Hudson-Odoi isn't convinced to stay at the club. And I think it'll be a decision that will rue for many years to come. No, you're absolutely spot on, Hion. And as an England fan, it's just fantastic to see him starting in the Premier League. Looking at that upcoming game against West Ham, obviously Hudson-Odoi could feature there. He could be an issue for the Hammers. But from a Chelsea perspective, is there anyone in that West Ham squad who worries you? Um, I think it's an interesting question. I think what I'm most concerned about is the treatment that Declan Rice and Mark Noble will give to Jorginho, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, purely because, of course, I think people can, uh, can sort of sense that our reliance on, um, on Jorginho is palpable. It's quite excessive. And even Cardiff demonstrated it. And they were mightily unfortunate at the weekend not to beat us in, in many ways. But they recognise the importance of nullifying Jorginho and also restricting David Luiz's capability of playing um, long balls. It's been a, a, quite a, a good source for us tonight and in recent weeks we've seen that a lot of Chelsea's goals have stemmed from David Lewis playing incisive passes from the back and if you can limit those two players, you know, considering the fact that Declan Rice and, and Mark Noble, although they are quite technically gifted, they are also very physical, sort of very abrasive, they'll contain the space, they'll do the dirty work necessary and I think that's probably my most my, my most significant sin uh, ahead of Monday night is the fact that if you two manage, uh, if those two manage to negate the influence of Jorginho, then essentially you negate Chelsea. Hion, you mentioned uh, you, you say all that about, you know, how a lot of clubs and particularly how, um, how like Rice and, uh, and Noble could do a bit of a job on Jorginho, but I don't know if you remember, but at, at London Stadium earlier this season, West Ham actually did the opposite to great effect in that we allowed Jorginho a lot of time on the ball. I think he, mo- he made the most attempted passes in Premier League history in that game. Um, and we actually blocked off his his, his options in terms of just basically man marks uh, uh, Eden Hazard for, for 90 minutes. And that seemed to work. So, again, that's that's another worry for, for Chelsea perhaps to consider in that, you know, teams are, are either man-marking Jorginho and, and completely blocking him out of the game or they're actually just stepping him off, letting him play, but then just cutting off his options. Mm, I think that's a pertinent point. Hopefully, if Sarri learns his lessons from tonight and recent um, fixtures, that he'll choose his starting eleven based on merit as opposed to his uh, preference. And, you know, hopefully we'll see increased mobility and increased fluidity in that team on Monday night. You know, if you look at the likes of Ruben Loftus-Cheek, um, Callum hudson Doy, people who are capable of going in behind, exploiting that space and drawing players out of position. Um, but, yeah, I think I think you raised a very, very pertinent point there, uh, James, considering the fact that, you know, Jorginho has been restricted in his influence. But... I think to counter your point, you have to recognise that particularly in recent games against um, West Ham, that we've totaled an immense number of shots. And I think particularly in the last three league games, um, you know, the draw earlier in the season, the, the, the nil-nil at the London Stadium, even the 1-1 at Stamford Bridge last season and um, the defeat uh, in the 2016-17 um, uh, season as well. There's just been the number of shots that we amassed and, and failed to score. And it's been a very familiar narrative for Chelsea this season. Create chances. You know, you could argue about how purposeful they are, but create chances, fail to score. Um, the opposition take the lead. And only twice this season have Chelsea have come back, um, from behind to win a game. And coincidentally, both of those were against Cardiff. And one was uh, completely unjustifiable. So, you know, it is an interesting dynamic. I don't know dynamic. what you're talking about, Keon. I'm justified. <laughs> Whatever next. Uh, it's been lovely. I have to say, it, it, it did make the scenes in the away end all the more enjoyable, though. Yeah, and everyone loves watching Neil Warnock absolutely lose his rag. So that was, that was quite <laughs> something. Keon, it's been lovely speaking to you. Can I press you for a score prediction for the West Ham game? Oh, goodness me. Uh, Probably a score draw, I'll say.
Score draw. He's not a confident man. Keon, you've just got a lot more popular in the studio, mate. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Keon Carbis there, who is editor at Chelsea Fancast. We've heard the Chelsea side of things. Coming up, let's see how West Ham should say. This is Love Sport. Get up. I've just witnessed James Jones of West Ham World say, I just want to see it flick up. Crystal Palace 1, Spurs nil. We've been discussing the possibility of a former hammer turning out for uh, Palace, possibly being the person to sink Spurs on their big day. Could it happen? Well, either Kiate or Tompkins could do it, couldn't they? So we've got two chances out do, of 11. Do you yeah. think particularly Tompkins as a West Ham boy will be particularly up for it tonight? Yeah, what, uh, what Spurs don't know is that we've strategically placed them in there. <laughs> you look years yeah. ahead. We, we knew what was going to happen. <laughs> Um, and it's going to happen. Both of them will score. Both of them will score in a 2-0 win for Palace. You heard it here first. In terms of West Ham's players who are currently still at the club, they'll, of course, be turning their attentions to Chelsea on Monday. Keon Carbis, their editor at Chelsea Fancast, wasn't writing West Ham off by any means. He said he probably thought it would be a draw. And it was a draw the last time out between these two teams in the league. It was nil-nil at home. West Ham got their setup right. We've just seen, by the way, Chelsea have just gone 1-0 up against Brighton. Olivier Giroud, the man constantly lambasted for supposedly not scoring, despite being third in France's all-time top scorers list, has given them the lead there. Nil-nil, though, the last time out with West Ham. It was a very solid tactical performance. Mm. Should the way you set up on that day be replicated? Yes. Um, you know, as we established earlier, sorry, we, we know how Chelsea are going to uh, shape up. We know how they're going to play. Uh, they've been doing it all season. Sorry, despite never winning a trophy in his career, still sticks with the exact same system. So that was such glee. Well, it, I just don't get it with, with Sari. Uh, and I was talking to some colleagues about it earlier. He's never won a trophy. Do you think it's because it's fashionable? And it's kind of hipster but, football? Yeah, but at what point do you go, this isn't really working for me as a manager. I've not won <laughs> anything. Uh, and somehow he's managed to, to land the, the Chelsea job with it. But, you know, that's probably another conversation. But I think we know how, how they're going to line up. We know how they play. We know how, you know, he likes to give Jorginho the ball and a little bit of freedom, you know, to try and pull the strings. And we perfectly dealt with that in a different way that other teams have done it and I said uh, when Keon was on the phone a minute ago that you know we allowed Jorginho the ball we allowed him to you know do what he wanted with it we didn't really press him we didn't do anything but then what we did is we cut off his options you know we had two men on Hazard um, we had William covered we had Pedro covered so all their runners uh, were, were covered so Jorginho was literally left with the ball you know basically passing it back to us because we were intercepting and I think you know if we can if we can replicate that, it'd be a lot harder at Stamford Bridge, admittedly. But if we can replicate that, then I see no reason why um, why we can't get a result of some kind. In that game, we played a midfield free of Rice, Noble, Obiang. Would you do the same again? Uh, I think so. Yeah, um, I don't see why not. I think particularly over the last few games, you know, the way that we've we've shaped up, you know, has left us vulnerable given the amount of goals that we conceded. Uh, and the way that we lined up against Everton, we've already spoken about, it just didn't work. So, yeah, I would I would do that. And, and, and that was in a stage of the season where we were just beginning to start picking up some results after losing our first four games. I think the Chelsea result came just after the Everton win, which mm-hmm. was our first of the season. Yep. Um, and that was arguably one of our best performances this season away from home. Um, so, yeah, I would. I would play that play that system. Another quick question. On Outovich, would you start him? Oh, that is a great question. That's a massive um, question. I just, I, I don't know. I just don't know whether, do, do we start him and then risk him? And then boo him. 
Yeah. <laughs> Why not? I've just been given an absolutely filthy look by James Jones of West Ham. Well, I mean, a proper I will stab you off microphone glare. I do apologise. <laughs> I didn't mean it. Um, no, I, I, it's, it is a difficult one and it's a good question, Frankie, because you, know, you start him and he, he either plays out the skin because he's got something to prove. Um, or you start him and we get nothing out of him like we have for the last couple of months. Uh, or you start Hernandez, who for me, I think was very harsh to drop him against Everton. I know he had to do a bit of travelling in the in the international break, but I, I personally, I'd start Hernandez. I think he's he's the form player in that, in that front three. Do you think the, he's as effective when he's not coming off the bench? Uh, perhaps not, but I think, you know, I don't think he started... As many games as he's as he's come off the bench for us, mm. and not in a in a real sort of run of games to actually try and prove himself from from the start from the start. So I'd start him. Uh, he came off the bench at Sandbridge last year and got us the point, mm. but this year I'd start him from the off. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I wouldn't start Obiang. I'd start Lanzini because Fair. I think yeah. we need a bit of creativity in there, and I'd bring Antonio in for Snodgrass. Um, and hopefully Anderson's fit so he can go back on the left. And I think we've got a bit of bit of pace to get in behind Chelsea. And defensively, they're not really that good. I think we could cause them problems if we play to our strengths rather than sort of try and nullify their strengths. But yeah, we're going to have to be very cautious in the way we do it. We can't just go all out attack. Um, it's going to have to be a really good performance if we're mm. going to get at least a point. Do you think it's a good time to be playing Chelsea? Yes and no. Yes, because... They've got Europa League and they're not in the best form, the manager. But then they've got, they've got the likes of Loftus-Cheek and uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi who are now coming into the team with a point to prove. And the games against the likes of West Ham are those sort of games where they'll be trying to get into the team for the remainder of the season. We also have to consider that, you know, as I said before, they can't afford not to finish in the top four this year. No, it's absolutely crucial. Th- there's no guarantee that they're going to win the Europa League. No, and um, they definitely lose Hazard if they don't, whereas yeah. they only probably do if exactly. they get it. Yeah. And it's still achievable for them, um, particularly in the way that Tottenham are playing at the moment. You know, I think it's, what, four defeats in their last five. Um, that... Uh, It'll be five defeats in the last six after t- tonight. Sorry, well, it is still nil-nil um, on their big night. It could happen. It's, it's tr- it was true. Obviously, Man United didn't do anyone any flavours last night by losing to Wolves. But I think, you know, Chelsea have got a real... Uh, there's a real danger of them not finishing the top four. So they've got to start picking up results between now and the end of the season. Mm. And that they will be looking at us at Snapford Bridge. West Ham at Snapford Bridge going, right, that's got to be Must three win. points. Must win. Absolutely. And it's a big game for West Ham, of course. And it's that point in the show where I put you two on the spot and ask you for your score predictions. So it's Arsenal versus Arsenal versus West Ham versus Chelsea. What's going to happen? Um, I think we, my heart says 1-0. My head says about 3-0 to Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go 2-1 West Ham. Two, we won't, we won't keep a clean sheet, never do. Nah. But the three points could be there. Fingers crossed. Will Arnautovic feature? Will he get booed? Is that it for him in a West Ham shirt? I'm afraid you'll have to join us next week. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. on the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio to find out. Sports Social Podcast Network.